Is your prostate waking you up more often than your alarm clock? The fact is, the older you get, the more likely you'll have prostate problems, which can affect your everyday life. That's where Prostate Complete by Real Health comes in. Prostate Complete is the result of 20 years of experience as a leader in men's health. The powerful formula in Prostate Complete supports natural prostate function and reduced urinary urges for a better quality of life. Available at Walmart. Visit prostateoneperday.com for special offers. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the History Hit podcast. 75 years ago this March, a battle raged on the northeastern edge of Britain's Indian Empire between the forces of that empire and Japan. Japan had launched its invasion. Japan had swept Britain out of Southeast Asia, and now it was launching its bid to conquer the Indian subcontinent itself. The battles of Imphal and Kohima were the decisive clashes in this desperate struggle for the future of India. On this podcast, I bring together people devoted to the memory of that battle and the people on both sides who fought in it. Richard Greenwood is a former England rugby captain. He is passionate about the battle after discovering close personal links to people involved. And Akiko MacDonald works tirelessly to ensure that the battle, the individuals who fought in that battle are not forgotten, and the right lessons are drawn from it. I caught up with them to find out more about the battle and their work around it. You can watch James Holland, one of the world's leading experts on that confrontation, visiting the battlefields of Imphal and Kohima. It's incredibly accessible. We managed to get great access, and, and James said it's one of the finest and most remarkable battlefields he's ever visited. That documentary is available on historyhit.tv, the world's best digital history channel. We currently have an offer you can watch 30 days free, History Hit TV. You then get four months for £4 or dollars in all. That's just £1 per month. If you go to History Hit TV, if you make an account, and if you enter the code POD4, P-O-D-4, you can watch James's documentary and lots of other documentaries besides, as well as listening to all these podcasts ad-free. That offer finishes after the weekend. So hurry over to History Hit TV, enter the code POD4, and get a ridiculously cheap membership of the world's best digital history channel. Make sure you watch James Holland's documentary first. It is superb. But before you do that, here's Richard Greenwood and Akiko MacDonald. Enjoy. I feel the hand of history on our shoulders. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all were gone and finished and liquidated. One child, one teacher, one book, and one pen can change the world. Hello, both of you, and thank you so much for coming on this very special podcast. Oh, hello, and I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you. My pleasure, likewise. Brilliant. Now, Akiko, look, let's start with you. What is your link with this battle? Oh, the Kohima battle. Well, indeed, it's my, my father was there, fought against British. So, very as simple as that. And did you meet your father? Yeah, my, my father used to talk about the Imphal campaign as a whole, uh, including Burma War, when I was small, and particularly when he got drunk and talk about wartime story. But not much in detail, because when I was small, as you know, the knowledge is so limited, and the interest is not like, you know, a historical-oriented mind. So we have to bear listening to him about his stories, but not much in detail. But later on, as you see, I, I got married to an uh, Englishman, 
in Tokyo. We moved to UK. And then I started to become a lot more aware of what happened exactly that Japan fought against Britain, uh, Singapore, all the way up to Burma, and then to a northern east part of the areas that, you know, ferocious battles took place. So my father was uh, under the uh, the command general Sato, Kotok Sato's 31st Division. My father used to be, let's say, lieutenant in mountain artillery. And he was lieutenant, so he had some, some man underneath, but they had to march all the way to Kohima. So that was that. And, and Richard, how about you? What's your link with this battle? Uh, at second hand, one of my great pals, uh, his father fought at Kohima. Uh, in the Lancashire Fusiliers, and he had said that he goes annually to the commemoration service at York Minster, and would I like to come along? And so I've actually read quite extensively on the Burma campaign, and so it linked very neatly, and I said yes, and I was not only flabbergasted, but I was deeply moved by the whole procedure. We dined at the officers' mess in the barracks. We then went to the, the dean's garden with the memorial in the background with, I think there were six veterans. There are very few left. There are perhaps another half dozen alive. And I was massively affected by it. It uh, was the worst of battles, horrendous conditions, horrendous weather, horrendous oh, bugs and beetles, not to mention two bunches of lads who were told to do something like kill each other. Uh, and if anything that I want to do, it's to re-establish the fact that those lads were not the perpetrators. They were as much victims, and I'm a great supporter of both the trust in the form of the educational trust, which we more of later, uh, but also of Akiko, who's moved mountains in terms of reconciliation, which I think is a hugely important part of it. She's, she's mobilized ambassadors, generals, mayors, governors, Uncle Tom Cobbley and all, uh, and is a powerhouse. There speaks a former England captain, so that's high praise. Uh, what, um, what, did your, what do you remember your father telling you about the actual the fighting itself? Well, the main hardship, as you know, I've been starved to death. Most, you know, without fail, every one of the soldiers suffered, particularly for the food supply was not there. And no ammunition, so they really struggled to get to the Kohima. Actually, not in the center of Kohima as a village, but they reached to the Kohima ridge, the you know, mountain area. And uh, the day they were uh, about to charge to Kohima for the final charge, which we call the Banzai charge, meaning, as you, you can perhaps understand, the Banzai charge meaning throwing yourself. And then, you know, determined to get killed anyway, because there's nothing left. But at the moment, they were called to retreat from there, meaning, you know, retreat, withdraw from there. So that's one of the big reasons why he survived. And, you know, consequently, I was born. <laughs> so it's very, I feel it's very strange, uh, like a fate to me to tackle this Kohima battle. Uh, so that's what, yes. And when you were growing up, did your father, in Britain, veterans were allowed to march and go to religious services and celebrate their victory. Did, did your father, was he able to meet comrades from the war or was it seen as, a, as almost shameful because the, Japan had been on the losing side? Yeah, I think it's, you can, you can I take it at two sides. Let's say, well, socially, 
they are disgraced because they, you know they didn't bring victories. So they're being uh, not despised, but not dis- not really sort of honoured, which is very unfair about that sort of thing. However, uh, amongst the comrade, they meet up, and then certainly it's similar to Kohima reunion. Each year they get together, and the purpose is talk about wartime and get drunk. <laughs> So they do used to get together, but that's what the situation is. But they, I think depending on the people, they, some people are very, how to say, it, it talks about how it was, but some people don't really, don't want to talk about it, but just get drunk. But the interesting thing is my father wanted was after the war, he wanted to go back to Myanmar and he wanted to sort of contribute to the, the you know Myanmar countries because how it, how the, the way it was as you know under under development, and he was also asked to stay there by the the villagers wherever he went. So he had a sort of feeling for Myanmar. He, he used to speak Burmese language as well, but he he did not really realize that Kohima was is a part of India so much because as you know so many weeks of uh, marching, going through the Chindwin, the river, and then mountain after mountain. So it, there is not such a sort of borderline. And then they end up in the mountains that he didn't know whether that was India or not. But they knew what the Kohima is. So that was the target to go through. So he said they actually virtually what he saw was completely the jungles and mountains are completely destroyed by bomb. So no, how to say, nothing greenery there. We constantly, you know, the, the cannons were shooting at the, the Japanese, and Japanese were also shooting back, and that's was the situation. I think he was there. And that was, he talked to me when I became interested in reconciliation. But before that, it never happened. Richard, let's take up the, the story there in terms of how the narrative of the Kohima battle. Japan, in one of the most remarkably effective campaigns of the 20th century military history, they crash through Singapore, they, they cruise through Malaya, they take Singapore in the blackest day, Winston Churchill thought possibly in the history of the British Empire. They then marched up into Burma, drove the British out of Burma, and then by 1944, they are ready to invade the Raj, India proper. Can you tell me a bit more about the plan? The plan revolved around an audacious attempt to seize British supplies at uh, Imphal and Kohima and beyond in order to sustain the army. Akika has clearly pictured the, the starvation of the Japanese troops. In fact, the generals were miscalculated. They gambled on winning enough supplies from the British against whom they'd had untrammeled success thus far. And of course, Kohima was the gateway to the Raj. And the Raj was subject to very considerable unrest at the time, and it was felt that this would trigger a massive rebellion and the England, the British Empire would dire death. So there was an exaggerated uh, gamble on behalf of the Japanese generals, against which we can pitch, in my view, one of the most outstanding generals on the Allied side in the entire war, Bill Slim. At which point, he tailored his defence to absorb the main thrust of the Japanese attack at Imphal, and the siege of Imphal is in fact well known. What is not known are the subsidiary battles that went on around the area, but Kohima was the key, described by one of the uh, the Allied generals as like trying to, without a corkscrew, take the cork out of the bottle. 
and it withstood because of the advantages of the terrain and the eventual exhaustion and starvation of the of the Japanese troops. Brings me back to my point. Here were two bunches of, of lads fighting each other to the death through no wish of their own, the disaster of war. And I am therefore repeating that I'm so much in favor of the reconciliation side. I was also touched, what prompted me in the first instance was reading The Railway Man, where he eventually uh, made peace uh, and embraced one of his tormentors and captors. I don't wish to put it as an us and them, I'm merely saying that two groups of young men fought each other to a virtual standstill. Let's not forget that, but let's have a better future. Did your father, as a young lieutenant, did he think about the British Empire? Did he care or was he, or was he just trying to obey orders and, and take on whoever he was told to do so? Yes, the later ones is the answer, correct answer. And he wasn't politically oriented. He was told, that's why he, he, he went. And I think most of general Japanese soldiers are like that because the information is not fully, full, fully being opened. But the interesting thing he told me was uh, he went towards the India, that they were told that they're going to go into India, and then they're waiting for the Germans to come from the continent. And so what happened is they, when they, they take over Kohima, I suppose, and then the next one is Dimapur, then and the Indians all raise up. And then the Germans are coming to take over the Indians to defeat the British completely. And that was the idea he was talking about. <laughs> and did he have any impression of the young British men of his age that he was fighting against? Uh, no, he had uh, no, he didn't have no idea at all. That, um, and it's no hatred, by the way. So, so just that, you know, when he was told and he has to shoot, he has to sort of face the, the enemies. But in fact, it was because of the mountain artillery, it was not hand-to-hand battle, not like, you know, the tennis court. So he was very way back, so they're not sort of facing in front of you to fight against each other. So it's no animosity or any other sort of feeling like that. So that was a very great difference. And when, at the end of the battle, when they started to withdraw, how did he feel about that? Was he just, again, just obeying orders or was he, was he downhearted and ashamed? He was disappointed. He was disappointed because he was so ready to fight and he was very tall, well, Japanese standard, and very fit. He was very much a sportsman type and so he was really ready to charge. And however, as I, as I said, again, uh, no ammunition, no food, anything like that. But it still he's got a spirit to fight against. But they've been told to go back. So he was so, he said to me, he said, I said, what the hell did we have to come all the way we came here? Well, for what? That's what he was saying. So he was disappointed he didn't get to do a Banzai charge like the defenders of many of the islands in the Pacific that basically led to almost certain death. Yeah, I don't know what he said, felt about it. He maybe took it as a destiny or fate. I think lots of Japanese are feeling that way. They never thought about saving their lives. They, they, they go uh, no matter what. And that's the totally different sort of perceptions, I suppose. So because they were told to go, then they go, because that's what the soldier is supposed to be. You've given your life here in the UK to reconciliation. Um, why, why do you think reconciliation was needed? 
Well, lots of reasons why. And when when I came to UK, of course, you know, with my husband and, and son, he was born in Tokyo. As you know, he's a bicultures, you know, Japanese and then English and living here. Uh, in 1998, when the emperor and the empress came to UK by the invitation of the, the queen, and then that time, the whole nation of Britain had the anti-Japanese sentiment rose up. And then the BBC and all sort of the media's newspaper was really made a huge fuss about the Japanese and calling names such as they are brutal, savage, and you name it, all the, all the bad words. And I was so shocked and I got stunned and I was working hard in the UK and doing business for, you know, B2B business. And I thought it's all going to be affecting my businesses first and secondly, yes, for the future, for our children, for the future, because of the Japanese race in my children's will be in, in a situation that's going to be a predicament. So I need to do something about it. That was the great motivation I had. So then I started to study, but I didn't know how and where to. Then I met this gentleman called uh, Masao Hirakuma. And that was the starting point of the reconciliations because he taught me a great deal about the reconciliation it's all about, uh, which I totally agreed what he was trying to do. And he was certainly, in the end, we realized it, my father and Mr. Hirokubo were comrades, worked, I mean, fought there in the same place under 31st Division. So, you know, coincidentally. So he got hold of me, never left and since until he died. And he involved me in many ways. And he called me every day, like, like, like a lover's calling me all the time. Yeah, that's what it's starting. Now, I've met lots of veterans of, of the war against Japan in the Far East, and they do find it hard to to forgive the treatment of prisoners and and their, their mates who were captured and things like that. You've met lots of veterans as well here in Britain. What kind of conversations have you had? Well, I think, first of all, I have to make it very clear that I'm not here or talking to you to apologise. And that's the starting point. Because I'm representing both sides, of course, the you know, British side and the Japanese side. And goodness sake, my, my father fought there, yeah, for their country, yeah. So POW is, is, is a totally different approach. And, and I'm sort of talking to opponents, particularly Kohima or even the Myanmar veterans, British veterans. And then it became very, how to say, you know, very so common ground. They sympathize or they understand my father's point of view. So that was a really easy start in, in a sense. And so we had a very good, deep conversation. I think depending on uh, the veterans who has got full knowledge and educated or another one is to certainly had hand-to-hand battle and had really went through the hardship and so many years had uh, you know difficulty for forgiving Japanese and so on. It had happened. But when... I'm there as a, the real person to talk to him. Then the, the, often the case, the tears drops. And then like a melting down, I don't know, but it's, he got hold of me and then crying and then said to me, see, when you go home and see your father, tell him that you should be proud. <laughs> and it's incredible, how to say, experience I had. And I'm very much privileged meeting those people. Very, very nice people, by the way. 
And do you feel you're also honouring your father by doing that as well? Yes, of course. Yes, yes, of course. As you know, you see, my father accepted our marriage. It's a very interesting episode is when, when we used to go out in Tokyo in about seven years and so we decided to get married. But so I said to my husband, you know, future husband, I said, well, look, you have to come to my, my home and ask not me, but propose my parents. So he did that. And then asking, you know, for permission to get married. And my father said, immediately as he said, I said, oh, my goodness, that. You know, during the war, I fought against British and I was captured by British. And now you. <laughs> so he's got a great sense of humor. <laughs> Richard, why is there still the impression that the campaign, let's, let's call it the Burma campaign, which include these battles, is, is still the sort of forgotten campaign of the Second World War? Well, the main emphasis was on D-Day, wasn't it? Well, two things, the island hopping in the Pacific, which occupied the Americans in very large measure. They were also occupied with D-Day, Eisenhower, and the thrust through through France to end the war in Europe. And so, I hate to say it, but it did become an afterthought. The other extremely interesting issues around it was the disappearance of the authority of the British Empire. Churchill fought very hard to maintain the British Empire, I'm not sure that I can quote Vinegar Joe Stillwell accurately, but he said, I ain't busting a gut here to help those limeys regain their bloody empire. You wouldn't have said bloody, of course, that's pretty English, isn't it? However, uh, there they were fighting still tooth and nail until August, and the atom bomb, two of them, and there wasn't even a campaign medal, correct me girls if I'm wrong, there wasn't even a Burma campaign medal until relatively recently. It had just been shelved one of the great tragedies that men should offer such valiant sacrifice on both sides and then be forgotten. That's a rather a dark blot on our history. And the veterans that you've now met through your reading and, and all the work you've done with this organisation, are they open to this idea of, of reconciliation? What stories have you heard of them embracing their former foes? Well, from Do Not Darken My Door only in far more robust terms than that, to the general realisation that they were all in it together. This was a shared experience, a horrible, horrible shared experience. And so I was very touched by Kiko's moving description of the veteran who broke down in tears. You break down that barrier. But of course, who has tried? We have got our stereotypes, Bushido, the, uh, the Japanese military philosophy, Banzai, a totally alien concept. Men doing what they have been brought up to do. We're not brought up to do any great sort of histrionics or heroics, are we? But when our backs are to the wall, by golly, we're worth our weight in gold. And so you see the expression of national characteristics. And of course, you hold that, and you will hold it forever, unless somebody does something about it. And here on the one side, uh, we've got the work of, of Sylvia May and the debt which the British, we're talking about British, there were uh, thousands of Indian troops involved, there were, there were African troops, it was a multinational force that opposed the Japanese. But some of the, the unsung heroes were the Naga population who lived in and around Kohima, the Naga village. And at very, very great cost to themselves, they assisted the British in a most generous way. 
And there they were in the far northeastern corner of India, forgotten by India, forgotten by Britain, and noble people decided to take up their struggle and say, we must give you something back. And they've, they fund now scholarships for Naga youngsters, educational scholarships. It's called the Kohima Educational Trust. And it is putting back something of the debt that is owed. Extraordinary contrast of cultures and indigenous people, Indian soldiers from their own subcontinent, the British not knowing what the hell they were doing there, <laughs> wishing they weren't there, the Japanese striding forward to express the militaristic tendency of their rulers at the time, a melting pot of emotion. Now that we're down to our last few veterans, what kind of reconciliation work are you going to do in the future for the next decades to try and keep the story alive and also try and emphasise what we have in common rather than what divides us? Well, there are quite a few things that uh, need, need to be done as well. First of all, as you see, uh, the, the veterans' numbers are really decreasing, certainly. And I have some of the veterans have still been in touch with particularly British side because I live here. And then also uh, being touched by the second generations, which is a very, very good trend nowadays. And they, they realise that they had never had no idea what exactly what Japanese were like. So they want to know because they heard everything about the British side of the story because it's all written in English, spoken English, but not from the Japan side. It's never been voiced in a world stage. So they want to know exactly you know, how the Japanese suffered or how they thought and, and so on. So it's, it's the door opened and not just necessarily in the UK, but the British are also all over the world. So he's contacting me and then forming a relationship in such a way. So oh, my father fought there, my, my father fought this and so on. So that was an excellent situation to ex expand or extend a little bit more. And then another one is that the reconciliation seems to be understood to nation, but it's not right because often the case that happen location is elsewhere, the third countries being neglected. And this is very important to focus on exactly what is doing. So that I went there last year. And I've been to talk to Impal and also Kohima. Uh, there's this is issues that we need to do a lot more to, how to say, how much they, they suffered. It, it is one of the things the Japanese went there and then sort of wiped out all their, you know, the food because they had no rations and they had to take everything. So they become all really poor because of the food supply. Secondly, the, the British side or our line constantly bombing. So the village were completely destroyed and when they returned to the place, then nothing left. So they had... In a way, the difficulty for not in a way the forgiving or not, because they are very, very generous people. But they did not know much about the political background for the wartime. So they wanted to have connections with the British and also Japanese at the same time. So then I realized that I can become a bridge again. So that I would like to bring the same stage of the British and Japanese and then to help them for, for, for them to prosper, not necessarily just the Kohima. The Kohima is a Nagaland. And also Manipur, the where where the impound is located. So that I worked so hard and then coordinated with the Japanese embassy. So the Japanese government decided to contribute for refurbishing a national road between Kohima and the Impal. So 
it has something, you know, substance, achievements in the stand. But it's that's still not, not enough. I, I want British to come in to help because the British also has got engineering skills, communication skills. There are a lot of things that they can work together with based on the reconciliation. So this is my, my dream. Of which you have proof positive with the two formidable ladies present today that we are already well entrenched with a second generation. We're now looking at grandchildren of the original veterans and I think the work that the ladies are doing is future-proofing the we should never forget. I feel the hand of history on our shoulders. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all were gone and finished and liquidated. One child, one teacher, one book and one pen can change the world. He tells us what is possible, not just in the pages of history books, but in our own lives as well. I have faith in you.